You're with Sean Jung and Where the Veil Grows Thin, an exploration of the sacred moments of our human experience in life and death, joy and sorrow, birth and end of life. It's the unscripted instant when the heart opens, the face-to-face moments with the divine. Every person who has ever shared their story with me has made a difference in all the lives of those to follow. There is something unique about holding space for another person's life experience, bearing witness to the circumstances and experiences in someone's life that leave them feeling shattered, wounded, confused, and lost. It's a sacred gift to be given entry to someone's heart. Group work is something I fell into early in my years with hospice. The need came organically as a way to be more efficient and economical with my time. What I could never have predicted was the impact doing support groups for grief and loss bring to my own life. This next story came from one particular group of 10 that met every Tuesday night for six weeks. The group ended up naming it The Backstory. And once named, it was almost humorous how many times in the ensuing weeks someone would say, Oh, the backstory, with a knowing nod of understanding and no need to explain. It came as a result of one woman sharing her experience in buying a new car for the first time in her life, alone. Her husband had died. You have to remember, these groups are made up of people who have experienced significant recent loss. They are in completely unchartered territory, shark-infested waters, high runoff in a narrow canyon in a leaky raft with no oars and maybe no life jacket. They are, at different times, lost and alone, frightened, mad as hell, and completely depleted of the wherewithal or the energy to remember even the smallest things, except to those who know to see beyond the obvious, they may look just fine. They're out of the house, their shoes match, and they remembered to put their pants on which is one of the wicked injustices of grieving in our society. We've been taught that it's important for us to look like we're okay. But I'm not here to talk about grief and all the ways our culture robs people of their right to grieve. Not today, anyway. So there we are, ten of us in a circle, listening to a member of the group talk about buying a new car for the first time ever by herself dealing with a salesman that she's pretty sure would really like to ask her where her husband is and why is she negotiating a new car deal alone. In her encounter with the salesman of the dealership, she felt belittled, disenfranchised, and judged. She expressed in great detail the anger and frustration of feeling unheard and uncared for in her grieving state. Eventually, she decided to take her business to another dealership, about 180 miles away. When she was finished telling us about the experience, one man in the circle very slowly spoke up. 
He began by saying that he did not know if it was appropriate for him to speak into her experience in the way that he was feeling moved to. But we were not brand new to one another. This was not our first week. The woman who had shared asked him please to continue. So he very carefully, tactfully, and with deep compassion, both for her story and the one she did not know, shared his close personal knowledge of this particular salesman's current life situation behind the scenes. His backstory. We live in a very small valley. Enough had been shared for this man to know who the woman had been talking about. Suddenly, her story took on an entirely different form. Her anger seemed to disappear, her heart opened, and her tears flowed. Tears of compassion and regret and sorrow for what she now understood about that man, that stranger, who has his own wounds of loss and carries his own sorrow. She had lost herself in hers, which under the circumstances is totally understandable, but she had forgotten that everyone has a story. And that was the moment the backstory became a thing for this unique group. We spoke the rest of the evening about that subject. We spoke of ancestral backstories, unspoken backstories, buried backstories, shared and similar backstories. Most importantly, we began to understand that when we are in relationship with another person, which, by the way, can be as fleeting as making eye contact walking down the street, smiling, saying hello, or ordering a meal from a waiter, or speaking on the phone with a complete stranger, trying to arrange a house call to have your piano tuned, or walking into a car dealership to buy a new car, that we may not need to know what their backstory is, but we need to remember and honor that everyone has one. Everyone carries one. So when we are challenged by another person's behavior or their experience of us, remembering that we do not need necessarily to take it personally. We simply need to be kinder and more forgiving. Our backstories run deep. It's reasonable, from my observations and perspective, to believe that we carry not only our own story from the time we were born, but the stories of our ancestors as well. But that, too, is an entirely different talk, and one for another day. So the rest of this story, in the blink of an eye, came from hoping to share the idea how from one moment of time to the next, there is this imperceptible gap, a nano moment, a blinking of an eye in which everything can change, a moment that can take the life we were walking through the world with and turn it inside out and upside down. Here's what happened. I was in one of those moments of holding space in my work at the cancer center. I was meeting a woman for the first time. She and I are about the same age. She had learned just four days earlier that she had a rapidly growing form of breast cancer. So her life had already changed in the blink of an eye. 
when the doctor sits down and says, I am going to interrupt your life, four days is not long enough to even want to take that suit off the hanger or think about trying it on. And at the same time, thinking about anything else is just as impossible. So I'm with her to take notes in her initial meeting with her oncologist. Her husband was unable to come with her, so she's there alone. We're sitting in a small examination room. She's wearing a patient gown because an examination of her breasts will be part of this initial meeting with this new doctor. I can smell her fear. I can sense the tautness of her chest and the shallowness of her breathing and the knot of fear in her belly. Her hair is perfect. Her makeup, minimal, but done to perfection. No one would know, which is is exactly one of the things I was referring to a moment ago about how our culture makes it so difficult for us to get the tenderness, understanding, and compassion we might sometimes need little extra doses of. I do need to say that I understand our need to look as normal as possible. Sometimes, especially in those times when one slight word of empathy or concern or pity or apology would simply push us right over an edge of something we can't see the bottom of, but we believe we know does not end well. We know we have to keep it together, or we might just disappear into the darkness. Anyway, she and I are making small talk that is anything but small. She is pleasant and easy to talk to. She has been thoroughly interviewed by the nurse, and I learned during the taking of her medical history some details about her life, a little about her husband and her work, the mention of a daughter. The nurse has finished and gone, and we are waiting for the doctor. I ask her if the daughter she mentioned is her only child, and she looks up at me and says, We had three children. Two are living. Our son was killed in 1999 in a car accident, his first year at college. I tell her how sorry I am to hear that. And then I say, I know that's a phone call you will never forget. And she starts to cry. And then she laughs almost immediately and says, Wow, I didn't see that one coming. She tells me not of the awful moment of the phone ringing, 18 years earlier, but of the comfort he has brought to her life since he died. The fact that he is buried near their home and that she is often stabilized and grounded in different and difficult times by visiting his grave. The fact that she feels him with her all the time. And she suddenly realizes that she had not yet called on him in the four days since learning of her cancer. She knows a visit to his grave will help bring some ballast to her upside-down and inside-out world, the one that feels like it is collapsing around her. The 18th anniversary of the night he died is six days from the day we are meeting for the first time. So we're in the middle of this conversation when the doctor comes in, and the focus then changes. While she dresses, I leave to type up the notes from a series of conversations, mentions of treatments, and the names of drugs and the medicines that she'll not be able to remember any other way. 
I know she will be in different parts of the hospital all day for tests and where I can find her later. When I do find her three hours later to give her the notes from her oncology appointment, she thanks me for helping her open the door to make that connection to her son earlier when we spoke, and she thanks me for asking her that question, the one about the phone call. The one about how, in the blink of an eye, the lives of so many people changed. But also the one that, in the blink of an eye, helped her remember that she has a strength she had not yet called on. That small, imperceptible gap of the nano moment as we move from this now to the next one. How we are able to survive certain occurrences in life is a mystery to me. And how we come through to the other side with grace and love and forgiveness as this woman and so many others have. How do we live through experiences of deep, profound sorrow and find such light and power and strength? Perhaps it's because we don't only experience, in the blink of an eye, disasters. If we are living our lives awake, walking with our eyes open, remembering that all things are connected, we can experience, in the blink of an eye moments, of profound understanding and clarity, epiphanies and moments of divine grace. The polarity of it all astounds me. The truth that darkness is not so much the absence of light or light the absence of darkness, but that it takes both to have either. Yin, yang, fluid, solid, sorrow, joy. The mystery fascinates me. And at the same time, I always knew how incredibly blessed I was in the years I was actively working to see it unfolding so constantly all around me every day. And until very recently, I thought it was because of my work. Then one day I understood that it is unfolding and happening all around, all of us, all the time, everywhere we are. It is life. Shortly after all this happened, I met a friend for coffee. Before we parted ways, she said to me, You know, I used to be one of those people who always felt like I needed to fix everything until I realized I didn't. And I said, because you finally understood that nothing is broken. And she threw her head back and laughed her big, beautiful, bold laugh, pointed her finger at me and said, yes, exactly. This is Sean Jung. Thank you for sharing this time with me. I hope you'll join me again soon, where the veil grows thin.